Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by Send It Philippines. Send It is the leading payment gateway in the Philippines. Allow your business to accept payments seamlessly from cards, e-wallets, retail outlets, and local banks. For more information, visit sendit.co. Also powered by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io slash hustleshare and get $2 upon signing up. Also by Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE. And so it was really about bringing in sharp talent and then really investing in people growth and development from day one and building a culture of openness and transparency. That's the culture we built, right, of empowerment. Welcome to HUSTLESHARE. The podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. Again, it's a brand new season and a brand new season we get the big guns up front. Because again, we've been trying to get this girl for the longest time. The first time we tried to do the record, she was the one she got sick. And the second time, I was the one who got sick. But finally, but again, before anything else, let's welcome one of the hottest startups in the land. And if you haven't heard, where the hell were you? Because we will have the founder and CEO of Edamama, Miss Bella Gupta Souza. Whoop, whoop. 
Welcome to the show, Bella. Finally, you're here. Hey, Ron. Yes, finally, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm a huge fan, oh, and it, it's you. great to be here. All right. So now, again, we're gonna we're gonna go right into the jugular because we've been asking this, and again, we want to make sure that we have the biggest guns up front for a brand new season. Now we're in season six. Even though we're in season six, we have to go a little old school and ask you the million-dollar question. Bella, what's your hustle? Well, Ron, as cheesy as it may sound, I think my hustle is being a mom boss, living out my purpose, which is turning my passion for parenting into a meaningful venture that, you know, hopefully inspires and supports women as mothers, as consumers, as business owners, and even as business leaders. That is amazing. So again, if that's going to be the narrative of how we're going to do it because as a hustler, I think I, I really think that running a business and parenting has a lot of similar parallels on how you, you need to eke out the best for your children, whether it's a startup or it's a child, right? We have to really bring out the best in them. But before I get carried away, I need you to buckle up because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. Child seat, huh? One second. All right. Make sure it's buckled up. All right. We're all the way back. And I wanted to ask you, because Bella, again, I've been low-key stalking you for a while now mm-hmm. since your ad spark days. But I want to know, how was growing up like? And I wanted to find out, what was it like? What was it? What was your early influences? Is it a rough childhood? Is, is it a good childhood? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, Ron. So... Firstly, you know, I'm I'm originally from India, but certainly consider myself a third culture kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, my story really begins with my parents, two people with very humble beginnings from Kashmir in India, which is where I'm from. Who were very keen to explore life outside our home country. And, okay. you know, while many immigration stories for Indian families involve moving west to the U.S. or England, we oh. actually went east. So oh. my family moved to Japan when I was three years Japan. old. Japan. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this wasn't a move to Tokyo or Osaka. You know, we went to Kobe, which in the 80s was a relatively quiet, you know, seaside town. My dad worked as an insurance executive. My mom was a school teacher. Mm -hmm. And being a small kid in a very homogenous society at the time was perhaps one of the most impressionable experiences of my life. Mm -hmm. Having spent, you know, most of my childhood in Japan taught me very early on that identity isn't as hard to find as you think. You know, I grew mm. up with a very strong imprint of Japanese culture, which wow. I think has stayed with me to this day. And in many ways, if you think about Edamama, right, it's an ode to that, that Japanese past. But mm. I still am very grounded in my Indian roots. Of and, course. you know, growing up watching my parents as immigrants embrace a new culture and learn the language and work hard to build their lives. Um, mm. I think that's really been such a big part of what's shaped me um, to also, you know, kind of have this insatiable desire to explore and see the world. Um, And I'm really thankful for that wanderlust, which I think my parents instilled in me. Um, And I think I have that kind of free spirit now, which has also, I suppose, meant that I've not always thought very conventionally about my career and aspirations. And so from Japan, we moved to Thailand, where I spent my teenage years and finished high school, ended up in India for college, and since mm-hmm. then, you know, since working, have lived uh, in the U.S., in England, in Vietnam, uh, and now wow. the Philippines. So, yeah, Amazing. it's been a bit of a, a crazy uh, upbringing, but I'm uh, really thankful for it. I think it instilled a sense of adaptability and openness to new cultures, which, you know, makes it, makes it all the better. 
I have a question about you know immigrant families always because again, I often hear this to immigrants in 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 uh, of, of startup founders going into the UK or in the US. I'm not yeah. sure if this is the same uh, in your case, but typically, Asian parents become tiger parents because the stakes <laughs> are so high, and yeah. they're, it's a, a little bit of a tough love environment where you know you can't f it up. Because they understand. So, and sometimes uh, what, the, what happens is that becomes a chip on the, the shoulder of us founders, really doing whatever it takes to, to, to perform mm-hmm. well. Some people cave in, some people rise to the occasion. It looks like you re- did rise to the occasion, but were the stakes also high as well for your end? You know, I would say that even though we were immigrants to a new country and, you know, we were doing this you know, more than once, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up pretty comfortable. I think my parents always made sure we were very financially secure as a family. So mm-hmm. the kind of fire in the belly aspiration was really less about, you know, I need to pay it back to my parents or I need to do well so that, you know, my children down the line never have to struggle in a similar way. But it was mm-hmm. more around, you know, and I cr- really credit my father so much. He was mm-hmm. He's always been just a really passionate, ambitious guy. And you know, he always, you know, really tried to inspire us to think big and ambitiously about our lives. And, mm. you know, we had so many of these uh, sessions as kids uh, with our parents and, you know, kind of hearing him talk to us about their humble beginnings, right? And, right. and how, how far they had to come uh, to, to live out their dreams. And I think that's really what inspired me was just, you know, how do I, you know, similarly mm. live life fully, right? And, and mm. realize my potential as quickly as I can. And, you know, carry on that legacy, I suppose, for my parents. Mm. But, you know, the funny thing is, um, as, I, as I grew older, uh, I think the, the very interesting change I saw in my parents, and, and this is really where I think a lot of uh, Indian women out there might, might connect to me mm. uh, on is the minute, you know, I turned 25, okay. uh, I joke about how I was like a milk carton that was about to hit its expiration date, right? And all my parents could think about was to marry me off, right? What? Uh, (laughs) And and listen, we could have a completely separate session as to why so many Asian parents place this irrational responsibility on themselves to marry off their children, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, To the point where like you have these marriage funds set aside for you, Mm. particularly Mm. as a daughter. And my parents had three daughters to reckon with. So I I think that was the turning point for me to some extent, because I felt this tremendous pressure and expectation placed upon me Mm. by my parents to to get married and quote unquote settle down. Right. And it was to the point where my dad was actually signing me up to go on blind dates um, with, you know, (laughs) like people he considered suitable men. Right. Wow. And meanwhile, I was plotting the ultimate revenge, which was to go to business school in the US, right? Mm. So <laughs> that's amazing. Think, yeah, I think that that really like I think that to me seems like very etched in my mind as sure. a turning point for me. And I've seen that again in other cultures and not just in Indian uh, landscape. I've seen this documentary about Chinese women uh, that again, the, the magic number I think is 25. But once they eclipse that, they even have a uh, term for it called leftover women that is frowned yeah. upon if you Eclipse 25 and you're not get married, right? Yeah. And then they really, again, they also aggressively look for men to marry them off. But the problem in China is that what the one-child policy before really affected the ratio of men to women there. So yeah. there's more men and less women. So yeah. it's hard to really match them out, right? Now, I wanted to ask about culture. 
because being well-traveled, I've, seen, I've had numerous hustlers here as well that have been around the world, and they pick up the nuances and the disciplines of their own country that they, mm. that they stayed in. I want to know, what did you pick up from the, the Japanese way of living that you still use now also from the Thai point of view? Mix that up with the Indian culture that you have. Firstly, um, I would say the accents, right? So I'm mm. like a chameleon. It, it's so funny. Like even with my team now in the Philippines, sometimes I'll switch over to a Taglish kind of accent, and and wow. they find it really funny. Like sometimes I talk in in Taglish, and and the response I get back is in someone speaking Tagalog, and I have no idea what they're saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and um, you know, I can switch off. I can switch to an Indian, a Thai, um, wow. you know, Japanese style of speaking, which, which, I mean, that's kind of the more shallow answer to your question. But I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, more broadly, just being so adaptable to different environments. Right. I feel so at home, even if I'm, you know, even now when I go back to Japan, I feel so at home if I'm on a train, local mm-hmm. train um, there versus if I'm uh, eating street food in Bangkok and, uh, you know, arguing with a taxi driver. <laughs> I, or, you know, my husband says when I go to India, like the, the true Indian in me comes out, right? Because I'm super comfortable in my own skin when I'm, I'm back home in India. And I think that's what travel gives you. It gives you the sense of comfort in, in right. adapting to whatever environment you're in and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of feeling more connected to a place, right? Mm-hmm. Now, once you, again, been ready after college uh, to really get into the, the corporate world. What were your early hustles and what, what, what are the uh, jobs that you look for and what did you learn in these jobs that you, you took at the first uh, few steps in your career? Yeah, so as the convention goes, right, any good Indian child will want to be an engineer, a doctor, or a lawyer. Right. Um, (laughs) Any Asian, actually. (laughs) Right, right. But of course, being the um, nonconformist that Mm -hmm. I argue my my parents anyways encouraged me to be, uh, until I turned 25, of course, is I wanted to pursue a creative path. Um, So Mm -hmm. I studied liberal arts in college. and. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I finished college, um, but you know, as fate would have it, I somehow found myself in the office of one of the most respected and influential business leaders in India at the okay. time, who is the chairman of Infosys Technologies, Wow, Mr. Narayana Murthy, or NRN as we call him. Yep. And you know, Ron, I'll never forget to this date. So there was this you know, call for applications. And, okay. you know, I put in my application, never expecting anything to really come out of it. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call from his secretary one day saying, you know, he'd like to meet me and he would have liked to meet this weekend. But unfortunately, he has a conflict. He has to meet the prime minister of India. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's okay, right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a nobody here. So but- long story short, Um, you know, went through a very competitive recruitment process, was extremely fortunate um, to be to to be given the 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 offer um, to join Infosys. And I would say I was like part of that one percent of people in this company of 45,000 people when I joined that didn't have an engineering degree. Right. Um, So I started off my career at Infosys in Bangalore, working in branding um, and corporate strategy planning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so my, my, one of my main jobs was to issue the company's strategy newsletter every month, right? And it went out at that time to like 50,000 people. And it was such a nerve-wracking experience for a fresh grad, right? To be mm. able to write all the content, put it all together, and then make sure, you know, I would 
you know, have to make sure there was just no spelling mistakes, everything was factually correct, and then having it shared out to the entire employee base. Because mm-hmm. when you're a company of that size, you know, obviously town halls and, and things happen, but you know, the, the, the strategy newsletter was such an important way to communicate um, what yeah. the priorities of the business were. So, you know, I, I thought it was a really great opportunity for me to, to get to know um, kind of the early, it was an early learning opportunity in kind of business, but also by working so closely with the founders, I just feel like that was for me so inspiring. And it ultimately, I think what catalyzed my, my own um, interests in pursuing entrepreneurship down the line. Absolutely. And again, if you have that access to the founders that early in your first jobs, that would be, again, a gift that keeps on giving because you, you, you'll have access not just to, of course, the skills, but also the little nuances that you, you can learn from them. What were those things that you learned other than, of course, the skills that you, you typically get in a, in a first job? But what are the indelible marks they left in your career, especially from uh, Narayan and Murthy, right? Yeah. I mean, if you know anything about this, this incredible individual, Ron, you know, he started Infosys with a paid up capital of $250, right? Today. Yeah. Today it's a multi-billion dollar organization. And the tagline of Infosys is powered by intellect driven by values. And, you know, the values aspect, right, was so powerful to me. I have till date not found a company that I felt was so deeply entrenched in in, uh, positive values in the workplace Mm -hmm. and incredible humility on the the part of the founders, right? So Mr. Murthy to this date, you know, travels economy, right? I mean, he's, you know, really wealthy. Regardless of the the distance, I cannot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. Anything over eight hours, my back just gives in. Incred- yeah, I mean, incredibly humble people, right? Who I think till, till they were at Infosys just did an mm. incredible job of upholding and living out their values every day and kind of walking the talk, mm. right? Which for a young professional like myself to have access to that so early on in my career, I felt like set this benchmark for me, right? That I Correct. really, to this date, try to, try to um, live by. Mm. All right. Now that's amazing. Now, okay, you uh, you stayed four years there, and you went all the way to the other side of the world in the Bay Area to now work uh, as a consultant, but only for a short time. But what did you see in the Silicon Valley that uh, yeah, impacted your career? Yeah. So I think having that start that I did at Infosys, and you know, um, after a few years in Bangalore, I moved to the UK office, and this is two thousand eight. Okay. This was a crazy time, right? The global financial crisis. I literally saw Lehman Brothers go out because oh, the, the, the building I was working in in London at the time was literally next to the Lehman Brothers office. Oh, God. Yeah. So it was a really uh, strange time. And, and on top of that, you know, my dad kept setting me up on these blind dates. Right? <laughs> it was like doom and gloom for me. So, you know, oh, yeah, coming back, right, to say like, okay, what's the ultimate revenge here? is uh-huh. I'm going to apply to business school. I'm really mm. going to, to try to make that switch towards becoming an entrepreneur. I've had corporate experience thus far, and I feel like I need more skills. I need more training in how to make that transition towards ultimately starting something of my own down the line. And I looked at a few options, um, was extremely intimidated right, by all, all the business school uh, options that I had. 
Mm-hmm. And so I decided there was, you know, I, I had a chance to visit Stanford, I sat in mm. on a class. And I mean, this is something they encourage you to do before you even apply, right? To just oh, they allow that? Yeah, they do. Uh, I even, yeah, I even sat in on an HBS class and I said, I, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to fit in here. Like, I, 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 I can't even imagine myself here. Right. No offense to anyone who went to HBS, right? It's just like fit, right? Because I, mm. at the time, I didn't really feel like I had a conventional background. Uh, and and in, in MBA terms, as they call it, I was more of a poet than a quant, right? Right. And so I uh, put in my application to this MBA program. It was in the Valley, which was also very exciting to me because I felt like that was where you want to be, right? If you okay. really want to be an entrepreneur. Yes. And I was a round three applicant. So, you know, to anybody out there who's applying later on in the process, there's hope, right? So I was incredibly mm-hmm. surprised uh, when, I, when I found out I got in. And, um, and it was, you know, I, was, I felt very fortunate because in, in general, it was, you know, the economy was kind of looking to be a bit unpredictable. And right. you know, it was a good opportunity to just go away for a couple of years and get a little further away from, from the pressures of, you know, uh, that my family was putting on me at the time. <laughs> the blind dates. <laughs> <laughs> the blind date. And I, I remember yep. having a conversation with my mom about it. Hi, mom, you know. Uh, but I remember <laughs> she, I told her that I got into this program and her reaction was to start crying. And I, I thought they were happy tears, uh, only for me to later learn that she was just so upset, right? Like, <laughs> you know, instead of securing uh, my future, I was putting myself in debt and going away for two years. So the milk was not only going to curdle, it was about to become cheese by the time I was yeah. in business school, right? That's kind of the way my parents were seeing it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but, you know, I, I uh, went and mm-hmm. um, it, it was, you know, my two years there were absolutely transformational. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Now, when you came back again, you went all the way to uh, Thailand. And this is, well, I didn't know this about you, but you were the co-founder and COO of Groupon in Thailand. Let me just share some, my first uh, real job outside a call center was in Groupon Philippines. It was called Beconomic here before. Yes. And that's where I learned how to freaking sell. Yeah. That's where I learned how to hustle. That I'm not going to go into a yeah. meeting walking away with no contract. Yeah. I became totally. one of their top sellers. And that's where I found my contract. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at this shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> now, I, I want to know from a point of view of a co-founder. Because I saw, I saw it in the flesh of how culture was, how fast-paced it was, how crazy mm-hmm. the targets was, and how crazy the competition was as well. My goodness. But from a point of view of a co-founder and CEO in Thailand, what was it like? Well, it was, it was great in the sense that I felt like it was a homecoming for me, right? Having, having finished high school there, I really picked Thailand. It, didn't, it wasn't kind of accidental in the sense. I mean, I firstly graduating, when I, when I was passing out of, uh, of Stanford, I looked around me and decided I wanted to go back to Asia. I, I kind of didn't want that conventional like product manager role in the Valley yeah. consultant. I saw the opportunity in Asia, really wanted to be part of it. And, um, you know, took, took the opportunity in Thailand because it, I felt like it was a market I had some, some understanding of. Yeah. And so went back and I think for many foreigners going to a country like Thailand, it might be a harder landing because, you know, language can be a barrier. Yeah. There are a lot of cultural differences. So I think from that perspective, it wasn't as challenging 
for me, but um, certainly, I, I you know when you're describing your your time with Groupon and the economic prior to that, I think Groupon was going through a very interesting um, um, transformation as a company. They had grown so fast, right? That uh, outside of the U.S., at least, Groupon was largely the culture was driven by Rocket, and yep. there was I think Thailand and Korea were the only two markets that were organic offices. Oh. So we built from scratch rather than acquire acquiring, right, right. right. Yeah, so we really arrived there with uh, with nothing, right? Just our suitcases. And, wow. um, you know, Ron, it's so crazy. But my co-founder at the time, uh, who was this German guy, he was in charge of getting the office lease. Oh, and wow. he came to me one day, and, you know, we were in a co-working space at the time. And he said, I found the perfect office. We're going we're gonna to set up the Groupon office in this building. And I said, that's great. Can you show it to me? And we we get there, and it turns out that's the exact same building my dad used to work in. No way! Yeah. <laughs> wow, so, that's that's a that's yeah. a that's a sign right there. Right, right. And so then we just got to work. Right, um, Groupon at the time I think was one of the hottest e-commerce companies globally. So mm. I think attracting talent wasn't as hard. Um, and mm it was a templatized model by then, right? So we had the dev team out of Germany that kind of already built the platform for us. So really the focus was onboarding people and onboarding sellers as quickly as possible. Um, And because competition was already heating up in the space, there were incumbents already in the market. It wasn't as hard of a sell to merchants. I think, you know, explaining the concept wasn't a challenge. So mm. we went from kind of arriving in our suitcases to launch in like three months. Um, and, you know, it was a crazy ride for a year uh, mm. before I decided to to move out. But what were the biggest challenges for you? Because again, you've, you've had experience before, but now as founder, what was the, again, again, being the head, the honcho, building a team, you know, I mean, this is, you have, it's technically home court advantage for you, but you weren't the incumbent. And being at the driver's seat is always a different ride when you're at, you're riding shotgun. What were the biggest challenges for you, because since this is your first time, that you find it found difficult to, to, to overcome at first? Yeah, you know, I would say, Ron, I was still pretty inexperienced, right? At, at this point, I'm, I'm still in my mid-20s and mm. I think getting over that imposter syndrome and realizing like, you know, I, I think just embracing the responsibility. I think I had my moments where I really felt overwhelmed by all of it. Mm. And, you know, you also coming back to Asia, you have to unlearn a lot of things. I think that two years right. in Silicon Valley might actually um, tint your glasses a little bit. Right. Um, mm. And you realize like applying some of your learnings uh, from an American classroom on a, an Asian employee it may not, may actually backfire, right? right? And we have some we have some crazy stories about kind of what happened uh, along the way and, and some hard lessons we had to learn. But so I think one is just having the humility to know that you don't have all the answers and that you know we really have to, if and if there's any success we achieve, um, it's it's a collective one. It's, it's drawing on everyone's strengths mm-hmm. rather than. Um, positioning us as the co-founders as kind of the know-it-alls, right? Mm-hmm. It was also really challenging because it was a bit chaotic in terms of the tech team sits in Germany, the marketing team is somewhere else, and they have preset budgets for you. So there was, mm-hmm. uh, there was to some extent limitations in terms of what we could actually do on our own, uh, what mm-hmm. decisions we could make independently. Yep. And, uh, you know, just kind of bringing the team along on a very aggressive growth path and 
you know, that, that also, as you can appreciate, as you were describing yourself, can sometimes be a challenge, right? I, I totally agree. I still remember how difficult it was cascading some things that were out of our control in, in, in the group on Philippines back yeah. then. And then I realized, you know what? I think I've learned enough. I'm going to try a startup, which was the bit, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Good thing I turned out well in the end, but my God, those are easily one of the hardest times in my life after I left Groupon. But before yeah. we talk about your next jump, let's take our first break. And when we come back, let's talk about how you got into the side of the Philippines and launch AdSmart as well. well. Let's talk about that more after the break. Hey Hustlers, it's been over a year and a half since the pandemic has started and completely bamboozled us because it changed and altered how business is done in the Philippines. But if there's a silver lining that I've seen, the businesses and startups that thrive now are those who are not just digital, but also make it easy for their customers to pay them. And the thing is, no matter how great you think your product is, your startup won't scale and achieve real product market fit if you don't do an omni-channel approach in getting your customers payments. Now, we've discussed so many options of how to get that done in this podcast already. However, what if you can just get that done using just one product? And that's why I highly recommend that you guys use Sendit. Sendit Philippines is the leading payment gateway in the country and they allow businesses to painlessly and seamlessly accept payments from their customers. And these payment channels include credit cards, direct debit, e-wallets like Gcash, PayMy, and GrabPay, retail outlets, and pay later. Now, I'm not going to recommend this if we are not a user ourselves. We use Sendit in Podcast Network Asia and getting payments from our sponsors and also disbursing money to our podcasters. Now, it's not just us because there's a lot of legit Filipino startups that achieve scale that are using Sendit to get this done, just like our friends from Kumu. Now, if you're interested to use it for your business or your startup, we're going to make it very easy for you to get started because you are a listener of HustleShare. And that's why we're going to give you access to Sendit's SME program, which is Sendit's org-wide initiative to help our SME customers grow and scale. Through this program, they will waive up to 1.6 million pesos per business and free transactions just by signing up today. And it's only applicable to new Sendit merchants and for transactions excluding cards. So if you're interested, just click the link in the description box of this episode to find out how to join. So if you have a business or startup that's gaining momentum now, I highly suggest you start investing in this infrastructure like Sendit to allow you to scale, not just now, but for a post-pandemic world. All right, let's get back to the show. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact 24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCon PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at saschallenge.ph that's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back for a break. We are still with Bella Gupta D'Souza. Again, now, now, it's, now, now you're married here. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you want to talk about the marriage. <laughs> but, you know, you were heavily being hooked up by your parents. But I want to find out from Thailand. You've never been in the Philippines, or if you have, probably just for a vacation. How did the AdSpark opportunity happen? Because again, AdSpark is credit where credit is due. Okay, AdSpark now is our partner in Podcast Network Asia. In awesome. Podcast mainstream. So thank you, AdSpark. Again, your mother hen. Lots <laughs> of you, we have a partner. There you go. So shout out also the current CEO, Gretchen Largoza, uh, who's doing an amazing job also sharing the torch. Hi, Gretchen. Yes, I've met Gretchen before. Um, I'm so glad that, that she's taken the helm. There yeah, so one tidbit of information. Um, so lo and behold, as the rom-coms go, right, Ron? Uh, I arrived <laughs> at uh, GSB, you know, hell-bent on making my two years there worth it and really focusing on myself. But um, I was paired up with a buddy when I got okay. to Stanford, who is now my husband. Oh, (laughs) there you go. So, yeah, he was assigned to be my buddy. He took his job extremely seriously. From buddy to hubby. There you go. From buddy to hubby. So from MBA to MRS. (laughs) So, yeah, so so Nish, uh, my amazing husband, Mm -hmm. also moved back to Asia after business school and um, worked in a field very different to me. So his his career really started in, in... kind of the oil and gas, wow. natural resources uh, 
power plant kind of mm-hmm. side of things, industrials basically. And so he was with an American power company after business school based in Vietnam for a couple okay. of years who were then- Pretty uh, close got, to Thailand back then. Yeah, so pretty close mm-hmm. to Thailand. Um, so we were long distance um, and then planning a wedding in between. And so right after we got married, he was transferred with the same company to the Philippines. Mm. And so I was still at Groupon in Thailand. He was in the Philippines, but obviously we knew at some point we had to, one of us had to make the sacrifice and we literally flipped the coin. And (laughs) I'm so glad that, that it heads was Manila because that's mm-hmm. what it landed on. And so I decided one year after launching Groupon in Thailand, I, I moved to Manila. And wow. I, I was a bit reluctant, to be honest. I had, I had, you know, I had known very little about the Philippine market. Okay. Didn't really know what to expect, right? Um, so moved to the Philippines and Globe happened very quickly. Uh, okay. I think a couple of months uh, after I moved here, I had a one of our first friends in, in Manila was kind enough to introduce me to Peter Bethos, who would end up becoming my boss at wow. Globe. And, you know, I remember meeting Peter uh, for breakfast mm-hmm. one day, and there was a secret I was hiding at the time. Which was? Which was that I was expecting. Okay. And- the real Edamama is now <laughs> turned to be a mama. <laughs> right. And, you know, I really, the, the reason I say it was a secret is because I remember very vividly Googling before I met Peter, right. which was like, should you declare that you're, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, you're expecting oh, when you go to a job interview. What they did Google say? <laughs> Funnily enough, Ron, and I'm not kidding. They said, you have no obligation to declare. Oh, okay. So, of course, I go to, I go to meet Peter. We met at Wildflower in BGC. Um, okay. I still remember. And I sat down and the, I think one of the first things I said is, I'm, I'm expecting. And I want you to know that because I know there's a lot of, you know, I'm really excited about whatever opportunities might be available. And I'm really interested in what Globe's trying to do. But, you know, I, I also, I want to get off on the right path here and you know i will never forget peter's response which is congratulations that's so amazing when can you start right (laughs) and you know i think that stayed with me till this date because it takes incredible trust and just you know great i don't know how to explain it but i i feel like that just was faith i knew yeah you know i just knew in that moment i wanted to be part of this organization and globe really has been a big blessing for me. I, I really couldn't have hoped for a better opportunity. It was a soft landing for me into the Philippine work culture, into the consumer market and the startup ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And AdSpark at the time was just a concept on paper. It's something that Ernest and, and Peter at the time knew Globe had a right to play in. You know, there was opportunity here. They had Gcash. They had a content kind of vertical they were trying to uh, also spin off. And then they knew they wanted to do something in digital marketing. And when I came in, this, which was, which was in, in uh, early 2013, mm-hmm. the Philippines was kind of on this wave, right? Where right. digital marketing was, was really starting to become mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to ride this wave and scale up very quickly. We went from a small office in Salcedo Street in mm-hmm. Legaspi Village to then mm-hmm. moving into the globe uh, tower when um, yep. that opened to then spinning off and getting our own office in behind Wilcon is that Wilcon that yeah. big green building whatever yeah. that one there panorama you go. yeah there yeah 
love and, it. And yeah, you know, um, so yeah, with AdSpark, it was just not only an incredible experience, I think it really was a, a great training ground for me to ultimately end up doing Edamama, right? That's amazing. And I, I want to delve in a little bit more because with AdSpark, was it like a digital ad agency at the get-go or was it a with a different transition as well? Because again, this was to- totally monumental to have some an, uh, your own agency, especially for a telco, to have an yeah. agency in-house, right? Because typically big conglomerates would have to deploy it to an agency, you know, the typical... Uh, the the what have you the ones that are always meeting up during I, I with Digicon and whatnot the, the international ones but for to, for it to spin off and what were the adjustments also that you had to do when you were running it because again coming from the mothership I don't know if that's what you call the two you know and and spinning it off you know there's also adjustments that you have to make because also you have to protect the globe agenda. Mm. Yeah. um, You know, when AdSpark started, our revenues were entirely from SMS ads, right? Right. (laughs) I remember. Right. Because I got free stuff from AdSpark (laughs) when guestlist.ph and partyfile. Yeah, right, right. Right. SMS ads was really where we started. And so that felt a lot more, I guess, uh, attached to the telco aspect of what we were doing. But I think the vision of this company from the beginning was pretty well aligned between myself and and Peter and and the rest of the board, which was that the goal for AdSpark was really to go after what the market opportunity was rather than to just serve the interest of Globe, right? And Mm -hmm. in fact, in our first couple of years, Globe wasn't even our client. We had to to earn that business. We had to pitch to Globe um, to to win that account, so to speak, right? And so Mm -hmm. up until the time that I was there, a majority of our revenues as a venture came from outside of Globe. Wow. Um, It came from working with agencies to help them set up their mobile marketing kind of support. And it was working with enterprise clients to, Mm -hmm. again, do mobile marketing. And most importantly, and closest to my heart, was to empower kind of the SMEs, right? Who at that time really were still even struggling to build websites, right? They Mm -hmm. were still very much offline. So that's really, you know, the first phase for AdSpark was really around staying independent and, and really catering to the opportunity that was outside of Globe. That's amazing. Leveraging Globe assets. Absolutely. And I want to now fi- find out, since again, you're founder and CEO. You're, you're the first, uh, where, where, the, where, the, where the buck ends and stops. I want to understand also, who did you choose as your teammates or who were your initial teams? How did you build a team culture? Because one thing that's here, I'll just flex a little bit, basing mm. it off of your LinkedIn. You had yearly attrition between 10, below 10%. Yeah. That means people love staying and working with you. Right, you grew the business and revenues thirty five x in four years. That's fucking crazy. That's amazing. And more, you grew the team all to one hundred fifty. My God, that's startup hustle right there, in the in the best form. But how did you even build that up from its foundation? You know, Ron, I've always taken a lot of interest in people, and I I truly believe that ultimately your success or failure as a venture rides so much on your ability to 
hire the right people and build the right culture in your organization. And firstly, you know, credit to our mothership for always giving us autonomy and independence. I think there was a lot of trust placed from day one, which I, you know, again, appreciate so much, right? Um, and then from a hiring perspective, I think we were lucky at the time, you know, we really focused on young talent, you know, mm -hmm. graduating from uni who were, as we described them, they were the true digital natives, right? Mm -hmm. And it was important for us to hire from this base versus focusing on what we saw as the more experienced talent in the market, but that was more of a digital migrant. Like they were trying to learn digital because they came from a more traditional advertising background, right? They were more right. TV, radio, print. I media, they used to call it. There well, yeah, right, right. And what we found in the younger talent uh, was that they understood where marketing was going. They wanted to be part of this digital marketing wave. Um, and so it was really about bringing in sharp talent, uh, you know, driven talent, and then really investing in people growth and, and development mm -hmm. um, from day one and building a culture of, of openness and transparency. Um, and, you know, this is something that I think is so important, right? And I struggled with it initially. I remember we would be in so-called mancom meetings and no one would speak apart from me, right? And uh, <laughs> like... And then I almost, it, it became like mandatory. Like, I want to know what your point of view on something is rather than right. me telling you what we need to do. And I saw that shift. I still remember if you ask the people who were part of AdSpark in our first three, four years, mm -hmm. that's the culture we built, right? Of empowerment of nice. our people to like speak up, right? Tell us what they thought and trust in their own ideas and, and run with them and pay it forward. So even as managers, they were evaluated on how well they were empowering their own teams, right? And so nice. that's, I think, the kind of environment we ended up building. And I think sometimes it takes an outsider to, mm -hmm. to be able to do that because sometimes you're, you, as, a, as an outsider, you, you spot the gaps, right, in a way that, uh, or, the, or the opportunities for impact that you may not realize if you're in it day in and day out. Absolutely. Now, okay. Now, after AdSpark, you did a quick job with the Capitalist Partners. And then now, you went full-on founder. I want to understand <laughs> now, how did Edamama come into play? And what was the biggest inspiration for you to come up? Because I heard from Foxmont and Kickstart that you started this when you weren't even here. Or you grew this. Yeah. You were, you were stuck somewhere. Can you talk about how Edamama was born and what were you trying to build when you built Edamama? Sure. So after AdSpark, um, firstly, uh, the decision to leave AdSpark was not an easy one to make, but I really felt like we had gotten the venture to a point where it was no longer a startup. It was a pretty stable venture. And I felt like it was time for me to go do something a bit more scary. And <laughs> Not a lot of people have that balls, my God. On, the right. honest truth here is that I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, I just knew that I wanted, I felt ready. I felt like I had received four years or five years of solid training. And, you know, now I was ready to kind of venture out and try my hand at something. But I knew for a fact that I didn't want to just go after what I thought was opportunity. I wanted to dovetail it with what I knew I would be passionate about, like where I would wake up every day and not see it as a job, but something, yeah, yeah something I'm super passionate about. And I, at the time I was still figuring it out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and inspiration for me really struck when my second child was born. Mm-hmm. So my daughter, who is now eight, is an AdSpark baby, right? She uh-huh. was with me when we started it. Um, she came to our office on a regular basis, right? She was so much, I, I associate her the so much. The boss baby. That. Yeah, boss go. baby. I associate her so much <laughs> with that kind of phase of my, of my professional life. Right. My son, Evan, was born at the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. Because I had left AdSpark by then, I was actually a pretty hands-on mom. And I remember I was trying to buy things online. And, yeah. you know, I was a bit more conscious of like my purchasing decisions and, and things like that. And I found the whole experience to be very challenging, right? So mm. I would be complaining to my husband, like I ordered this item online, but it's such terrible quality. Why would they, why would I pay full price for something like this when I wouldn't even give it to my child ultimately because I don't think it's safe, right? Got it. And that's really, I think, where the light bulb moment went off for me. I remembered from my AdSpark days, like every client we pitched to, right, Ron, whether it was the FMCGs or the banks, one of the key questions was like, we want to target globe moms, right? We want to find who the moms are in this globe customer database. Correct. And so I think I was reminded of that. And I, I you know, I think the insight was mothers are such powerful consumers. Um, they are gate, you know, gatekeepers of their households, chief financial decision mm-hmm. makers, whether they're working or not. This is a matriarchal society. Women are highly empowered. Absolutely. But their purchasing journey, their discovery experience online is, is far from ideal. And at the same time, they are extremely powerful influencers, right? Um, they are intrinsically motivated to help each other make the right decisions. So that's kind of what was the path we started to go down to say, is there an opportunity to build something here that is a trust platform for others? Got it. No, that's amazing. And and that said, that's your why right there. This is your second rodeo as a mom. Now, I want to understand, how did you build this startup from that point on? Because again, this is the first time now it's your shot, it's your capital, everything is yours. How did you then build it? And just a little bit of side note, why, why did you call it Edamama? Yeah. So in terms of the, the journey to get started, I wanted to firstly build a prototype that I felt could be used to a test demand in market um, and also maybe raise a small uh, seed capital investment that could then allow us to take it to the next level. So my starting point literally, Ron, was to, well, firstly, before I even decided I was going to do Edamama for sure, I did what most MBAs would do is I made an an Excel file of different (laughs) ideas. So I had about five I had kind of been thinking about apart from this B2C uh, in the parenting space. And then I made like a whole scorecard, right, of, you know, using the Ikigai framework, if you're familiar with Ikigai, right? That's very, so, the, that's the Japanese in you right yeah, there. Yeah, that's the Japanese. And so I <laughs> Mega Venn diagram. Yeah, right there. I did. But I did a, a weighted scorecard and Edamama came out as, you know, the highest scored. Mm-hmm. What were the factors about yeah. Edamama that made you pursue it? Well, the opportunity, right? Philippines has second highest birth rate in Southeast Asia, highest under 14 population, top 10 baby market globally. Is um, it? Wow. Yeah. 2 million babies born every year in the Philippines, right? A lot of Filipinos make love. (laughs) (laughs) So the opportunity, um, the pain points, right? And I had lived through those pain points. I think Mm. it was very clear to me. 
third is the personal interest in it. You know, I love yeah. being a mom. It's my most important job. It's, it's right. what I first and foremost identify with, right, is, is motherhood. And, and really, you know, the, the idea that this opportunity is not just to uh, cater to the end consumer, but to also build an organization that is very supportive of parents um, and working moms like myself. And mm -hmm. whether you're a parent, I mean, most people who work at Edamama today are not parents, but we really have tried to also reimagine the corporate workplace, the startup workplace by espousing a culture of flexibility, which nice. you know, we can say for a separate topic. But yeah, so it was kind of all of these factors that made me say, I, you know, even if this venture doesn't succeed, at least I know I'm doing something I'm really passionate about. And I have done the homework to understand that there is some opportunity here. Got it. And why again was it? Did you call it edama, edamame? Oh, yeah. Is it because of edamame, the 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 the, the beans? <laughs> yeah. So if you've seen our logo, right, which was designed by one of my AdSpark colleagues, very sweetly. There you go. It has this icon, right, of an edamame bean, right? And you mm. see, you see like peas in a pod. And I think what we're trying to symbolize here is that a, I mean, it could look like a baby in a swaddle. It could look ah. like a pregnant mom, right? Right. But it also has peas in a pod and, and, you know, it's to symbolize that it takes a village, right? It takes a community to um, thrive in parenting. And absolutely. Yeah. So that's kind of the logo, but the name itself, you know, I think it can mean so many different things. Um, in French actually means to help a mother. Oh uh, yeah. But wow. could also mean educating a mama. Right. And Amazing. we wanted to have mama in the name because the focus is the woman, right? It's the yes. focus is the mother, as opposed to saying it's about all about the child. It's about empowering the woman behind the mm -hmm. mama, but also the mama in every stage of her of her journey as as a before, during, and after having a baby. That's amazing. Now, Bella, again, I wanted to drill down on this this amazing story that I've heard about you that you built this when you weren't even here. Can you, can you talk talk about how that happened? How did you even build away from, from your home market? Yeah, so we raised our seed round for Edamama in 2019. Okay. And we built the prototype, as I mentioned. You know, that's what I wanted to do first and built the product up. We were at that time about a team of 10 people. Okay. And um, we were, you know, we, we even sent out invitations. We were going to do this big press event in BGC, launch event, and then COVID happened, right? And I suddenly found uh, myself locked up in my apartment, about to launch a venture with two really frustrated children, literally <laughs> killing each other in my apartment. And then oh, her, one of my daughter's school telling me I had to homeschool her. What? <laughs> and, you know, I think for us, my husband and I looked at each other and said, okay, you know, how long is this going to last? I remember on May 24th or something of 2020. Uh -huh. So we have just taken Edamama Live. And uh, I saw something on Facebook to say there was a flight going to Australia. I didn't even consult Nish. I picked up the phone, called the call center and said, we'd like four tickets <laughs> to get on this flight and they said sorry we only have three tickets so I said okay put us put this fourth one on the wait list if it's meant to be it's going to happen we get a call like an hour later from pal saying the fourth ticket is available do you want to take it 
And, you know, Ron, it was not a calculated move. Like we literally didn't plan it. Right. Right. Leave a faith. Yeah, they became available, and 24 hours later, we flew out. That's crazy. It's the same time zone as Manila. Yep. Our kids are in school, and we're, I'm living with my in-laws, which is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we have made it work. You know, So we have, in some ways, the way we really like to think about it is we are still in Manila. We're just working from home. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, that's the whole dynamic now that the startups that are thriving in this pandemic are the ones who are fully and was able to adapt fast yeah. into this new setup and are, you know, able to still trudge on and even reach greater heights, which again, you guys were able to do. Yeah. I mean, we came here literally with uh, clothing for one season, which was when we arrived last year, it was winter in Australia. So we came right. with all our woolies. We did not expect that we would have to, you know, now. Uh, now you have to have Bible bombs. Yeah. We now have yep. an entire season, a full year season worth of wardrobing. But, you know, we're keen to get back as soon as possible. It's been really chaotic trying to balance yeah. kind of what we think is best for our kids versus the business. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, so far so good. We, we have felt no uh, disruption to our ability mm. to grow at Amama. And I think, yes, I think let this be a case study, right? That absolutely remote-based work, um, working from anywhere is here to stay, right? And Correct. the more quickly we get used to it and comfortable with it, the better it is for everyone. And I think our people too appreciate so much. Like we ask all the time, we ask our team, are you guys ready to come back into an office? And I think of course, the warehouse is an exception. We have a big operations team on the ground that's working in right. the warehouse. But for those of us, um, you know, in, in back office, departments, yep. yeah, I mean, it's so far, I think people really appreciate um, not having to have the pressure to come back into an office. Totally agree. And in the PNA team, at least I'll just share a little bit on my end. More than half of the people that I've hired over the past 12 months, I've never seen in person. I, I think they're all catfish. Yeah. Like yeah. I call them catfish. Like, are you real or, or are you just catfishing? <laughs> yeah, it's the same. Uh, Although I funny. miss it, right? I'm sure you miss True. the, you, nothing can replace, right? Correct, the, correct. The conversations around the water cooler, as they say. Yeah, but safety is paramount at this moment. And then we cut, let, and at this point, we have to take our last break. And when we come back, I want to now know how we were able to grow the team and now achieve greater heights with Edamama. And then we're going to pay it forward with a couple of questions that I prepared for you. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hi, I'm RJ Desma. Get inside the heads of the country's sharpest and most innovative business personalities and entrepreneurs. Hack your way to success as you learn more about how they think about business. What are their best practices and success secrets? How do they innovate their businesses during the pandemic? And what opportunities do they see in the new normal? Join me on the RZ Ledesma Podcast. Hey guys, 2021 has been an exciting year for cryptocurrency because of Bitcoin getting all-time highs almost at a daily basis now. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I use this app called B21 to invest in my crypto assets. What I love about B21 is they've made it so easy for me to invest because I do not have the time to watch the charts and see the dynamic flows of all these crypto assets. And because it's so easy to use, I was able to make massive gains right when Bitcoin was making that 
full run. Now, I don't want to be the only guy who's actually benefiting from this because as a hustler, you need to make your money work for you. So download the B21 app now in the Google Play and App Store and use the code HUSTLE to see how easy it is to use and invest in your cryptocurrency now. And we're back from the break. We're still with Bella Gupta D'Souza again, who is all the way down under all this time. But again, because again, you, you are operating on the same time zone. That's amazing. And I think you're now in the same four seasons that you were there right smack in the middle last year. It's winter in Australia again. But again, I want to now understand, Bella. So you told us how you're able to pivot your family. But I want to also understand, remotely, Growth won't stop. And if you said, we said it was seamless, how did you grow the team and the product at the same time from that point on? I think we have a very ambitious goal for Edamama as a whole. Like We believe so much in what we're doing. And I think by having that clarity of vision and that focus and ambition really helps with everything else. It helps in how you think about product development. It helps in how you think about you know, how do you give the best customer service to your customers? It, and it really certainly helps on the talent side of things, right? Yeah. So when I started Edamama, I, I did also think about all the people I had crossed paths with in the mm -hmm. Philippines in my four and a half, five years at mm -hmm. this point there. And I made a list of people that I would have loved to work with again. And so I literally reached, some of them I hadn't spoken to in a very long time. I reached out to them and said, I'm, I'm thinking about this venture would love to know if you want to be part of it. Um, and, you know, and many of these people started part-time. It was like, let's test the waters. Let's see how things are going. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel comfortable at this point asking you to quit your job just yet, right? And so that's how we started it. Um, I, I, one of my first key hires was Kate De Los mm -hmm. Rios, who came on board and was, you know, had, has like incredible background in content and, and marketing. And for me, I knew with Edamama, I really wanted to have a very discovery-led experience. Um, right. And, and content is such a big part of this, right? Correct. So I thought about the people I'd worked with at AdSparks or head of marketing, um, Dan, I reached out to her um, and invited her to come on board. Mm -hmm. um, so really bringing in these individuals from there, we then, you know, did, uh, oh, and the third key hire for me was, I said I wanted to get an HR person mm -hmm. very early on um, in our journey ahead of people. Because to me, I think the conventional wisdom is you hire your first HR person when you're a team of 10. But for me, the way I've thought about it is you need an HR or a people-oriented person from day one who understands what culture you're trying to build and is that support to you, right? So whether it's hiring, whether it's thinking about what kind of work um, culture you want to build um, and really crystallizing that from day one. So even when we interview, even when we onboard, and as we go through this journey together as a company, everybody is on, on the same page and understands what we're trying to do. And so I think we try to really test for that even when we, you know, recruited or interviewed candidates for Edamama. And I think, you know, that's kind of where this snowballed into now what is a team of, of over 100 people, <laughs> right? What? No. Yeah, what team of 100? That's crazy. Yeah, what? yeah. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Now, I want to understand also product side. Yep. You got to make sure that whatever you built holds up, especially if it's B2C and then, you know, sales happen. The last thing you want to do is a slow site or a slow app that's not even going to hold up. How did you build product? And I think, again, coming from your AdSpark background, you know a thing or two about good products that 
were there things that you applied from your AdSpark hustle that you now also applied in Edamama as well? Yeah, AdSpark was a little different, right? Because we were more of a services company. Uh, Our products were not as... I guess, tangible as, as Edamama being a platform that people go to. And, you know, the, the product is so central to everything we're doing. Correct. For me, I felt like we had a first mover advantage. I looked around and saw we, there was really no mother and child focused vertical e-commerce platform at the time, but speed was of essence. Um, and we yes. wanted to get like this first mover advantage, knowing that e-commerce was, was starting to get really uh, exciting in the Philippines. Yep. But, you know, the, the reality is I felt like I, I knew I wanted a really modern tech stack and mm-hmm. I wanted a team that could build it super fast. And I wasn't able to find the right combination of team and uh, tech, I guess. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Super and so hard. I, having, you know, the benefit of uh, understanding the Indian landscape a little bit, decided to go with uh, a d- development team out of India to build the prototype wow. initially. There's a and lot of talent out there. Yeah. Really good too. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. And, and because the startup ecosystem in India is just at another level now, right? Um, I think we were able to rapid prototype it super fast. I, I see myself more than anything as a product person. So I was very involved in the product designing and development process. And it was a bit of a leap of faith on the tech stack because admittedly, I am not a technical founder. And I, I, I think this is important for anybody hearing this who is also a non-technical founder. You know, really do your homework, really do your research, um, and make sure you have a technical advisor that is helping yes. you make decisions very early on about what stack you go with, because that yeah. is going to really make or break your product. It's expensive to rewrite yep. the whole shit. Oh my God. That... It is, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. got to make sure that, especially... If you're going to create, uh, it's, it's easy to create an MVP, right? Yeah. Prototype, you know, several hundred users, fine. But you want to make sure that whatever you're going to build will scale as you want to scale operations as well. Because if it breaks and it doesn't hold up, then you're back to square one. Right, right. Absolutely. It's okay. So I want to now find out, as a, as a, how did you now scale or get traction, which is, again, the, the holy grail of startups, right? Uh, at, at the end of the day, you can build a team, you can build a product, but if users don't come and they don't do repeat purchase, which is the name of the game in, 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 in this type of uh, business, which is MRR, the Monthly Recurring Revenue, I would suppose that would be one of your main metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you scale ops and, and get traction? Most of our growth in our early phases has been quite organic. And wow. that has been a function of a couple of things. One is because the pandemic happened, I think it was a blessing in disguise for us because we at the time were deemed as a non-essential uh, service. So we mm. couldn't launch Edamama with the products that we had when the pandemic started. Okay. So we were forced to think community first. So instead of the product being the platform, the product for us became an initiative we started on social media called hashtag happy at home. And again, Mm. I think this goes back to the fact that because a lot of the people in our founding team are mothers and they were living this at home, right? We all found ourselves stuck at home with kids unsure what to do. We said, let's turn that into an engagement on social media where we Mm. hopefully can inspire, entertain, 
and educate mothers, right, around how to survive the uncertainty that is the pandemic. And we really did a combination of fitness videos, you know, inspiring content for kids, helping celebrate some of the festivals, et cetera, which I think drew in a community of moms all organically, right? So we didn't do any paid like ads, et cetera. Everything was organic. Yeah, we boosted some of the videos, but there were videos that were getting shared thousands of times. Mm. So I think that community uh, start uh, really helped with the... So when May, I think May, Mother's Day last year was when we finally were able to turn on the Edamama platform uh, from the e-commerce side. So I feel like we already had, yeah, (laughs) we already had a base that we could communicate that to. And then, you know, we started a referral program that I think also really helped with raising traction. That's amazing. Organic is always the key because again, especially, you know, in a, in a cutthroat environment also, that's again, retail. If you don't find an organic way to grow your startup, you're always going to be paying your way for your user base. And if you don't, especially if you don't return, that churn is going to look really, really expensive. Even if you do retargeting and remarketing down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do, we, we do a lot of, we do a lot of paid marketing now. So don't get me wrong. I think, sure. You know, we're in a time now where because we have so few options in terms of how to reach customers, mm-hmm. you know, you do have to do a, a fair amount of paid marketing as well. Absolutely. No, but at the start, you know, that organic is always key. Because if you yep. can't acquire an organic user base up front, which you, hopefully you'll turn into your champions, it's going to be hard to, to snowball that if you don't have yeah. a solid base. Yeah. Now, I want to find out uh, a couple more uh, before we let you go today. In terms of your biggest challenge as a founder coming from, again, AdSpark and all your previous hustles, what do you think was your biggest challenge as a full-time founder, especially being remote? Uh, this has been since, since last year all the way to today. I think for me, finding balance is still a struggle. And I I think it's important to say this because it's dangerous for me. Uh, I feel I have a responsibility to be very honest about what it's like to be a founder. And um, especially for women who are listening to this, who are thinking about going down this path, you know, there are a lot of factors that have helped me along the way. You know, I have a very supportive spouse um, who's as invested in this venture now as I am. I have Mm -hmm. very understanding kids, right? (laughs) To a very large extent who (laughs) have been on this. Real bosses. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's struggle. It's, it's still a struggle, Ron, to find that balance Mm -hmm. and, you know, between personal time, health, you know, working hours, uh, all of that. And, you know, I think we are all feeling it, even as founders, even though we feel like we're owners of our ventures and we should have full control over our time. It's not, it's not the case, right? And right. yeah, I think it's important that we also therefore appreciate that we need to set cultures in our company where balance is also prioritized and also set expectations with our shareholders and, and stakeholders that, you know, at the end of the day, like, personal well-being and health is incredibly important as well, right? Because without it, nothing else really matters. Got it. All right. Sounds good. Now, I want to ask you some pay-it-forward questions to, to those people that are, that, that are listening, especially the mamas listening to this episode. And I'm very curious of this too. What do you think are the parallels between raising a startup and raising a child? 
Because again, I would imagine that it, there are similar things because they're both needy. They both a lot, need <laughs> a lot of attention and they cry a lot. <laughs> but what yeah. do you think are the parallels that you can see that, that you, you do as a mom and also as a, as a startup founder? Yeah, I think firstly, both of them require you to give up on sleep, right? <laughs> um, right? Sleep, sleep busters. A, yeah. I mean, I don't remember the last time I ever slept in, right? Oh, um, man. And uh, so I think, you know, jokes aside, I think my parenting style, I'd like to think is similar to how I try to lead um, my teams, which is really focusing on empowerment and respect for differences. And uh, I think so many of us as parents are very, and, and, and potentially as leaders are very tempted to apply our own values and our own um, uh, expectations on yeah. our people, right? And even on our kids, right? We want to live vicariously through our kids. And right. I really believe in empowerment of my kids. I really want them to grow up to feel like they can make their own decisions. They can speak their minds. And mm -hmm. I, I hope that we can kind of also draw similar um, parallels to to the workplace. Mm. But I, I, my, my last uh, question is, is the growth, because I, I, I can only empathize with the startup growth. It's the best feeling in the world when milestones are hit. Is that also the same with kids when, you, you, when your kid hits a milestone and when your startup hits a milestone? Is that the same feeling as well? Yeah. And, and you want to share it, right? Like, right. I, I think, I think um, when your child does well, your reaction is not, oh, I'm going to take full credit for that, right? It is genuine happiness, right? To say like, yeah. they did it, right? We did it, um, rather mm -hmm. than saying it's about me. And I think we see, I feel the same way about the company. Like when we, you know, May was May of, uh, last month was our best month ever mm -hmm. since we started the business. And it really felt like it was a collective celebration. It was really feeling like every single person played a part in that mm. uh, versus one or two people, right? Absolutely. So I think it's, it's a very similar sentiment. And no amount of lost sleep will, will, uh, will uh, eclipse the feeling of joy that you feel at that moment. At, yeah, right. right. <laughs> totally. It's worth it, right? <laughs> I don't care if I only slept three hours, but it's, yeah, uh, we exactly. hit this milestone, we good right there. Exactly. All right, now last question. I'll go a little nostalgic here because we're talking about moms and whatnot. But, you know, at the end of the day, they always say that the conscience in your head and your, your, and it's the voice of your mom. And I totally believe I was raised by a single mom. So it's all, I've always been a mama's boy. And a lot of what I am now, I owe it to my mom uh, with, with how she raised me. But I want to find out from your point of view, Bella, what do you think was the best advice you got from your mom that you still live through today? That's a great question. And I, I think I want to try to answer that by describing what my mom is like, um, because I think the way I think about her influence on me is more driven by her actions uh, rather than her words. I think my mom is someone who has always somehow managed to live so fully with everything she's done. And mm -hmm. just to put some color on this, you know, when we moved to Japan, when we moved to Thailand, my mom was a stay-at-home mom raising three kids. Mm -hmm. She had me when she was three months 
she had she was pregnant with me three months after giving birth to her first child. Wow. Right? And, yeah. And so it was really, I, I'm sure it was really hard for her, but she never let us see her get tired. And she always brought her A-game to everything she did. And she got a job in Japan as a, as a school teacher. She did the same in Thailand. But every night we had the most extravagant dinner meal on the table, wow, right? Um, amazing. And so she lived life really multitasking to such an incredible degree. And I find myself doing that today, right? Mm. Sometimes I feel like I'm morphing into my mom because at the end of the day, <laughs> like no matter how crazy my day has been, if I don't cook for my kids, I feel like I have failed, right? Wow. And, and that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I really try to live life fully the way she did, which was to serve her family, mm. to serve her husband, to, and then to be this incredible professional at the same time. It's amazing. So show and tell at the same time and look at you now. You being the tiger mom. That you <laughs> hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter you grow your own startup because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees and this bundle is your key to freedom including payroll outsourcing to experts a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software and government compliance services sprouts payroll starter has you covered for payroll bir sss and taxes all the stuff that no founder loves to do so let sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress all this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with GCash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag Uno Ready Savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag Uno Earn or hashtag Uno Boost Time Deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag Uno Earn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. 
So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. As well, again, thank you very much, Bella, for such an amazing episode. But before I let you go, what, do you guys have some real announcements to make very soon? What's up next? Just give us a glimpse of what's going to be uh, Edamama in the near future. And if they want to check out Edamama or even collaborate and work with you, well, how do they, where do they go and how do they do that? Sure, Ryan. So please visit us at amama.ph. What you will see on the Edamama platform today is really the first phase of our journey as a company, which is the most trusted and loved products and services for mother and child. Um, we now have over 800 brands, over 20,000 SKUs. We're adding new brands every day. But our vision as a company actually is to become the leading parenting brand in the Philippines. We are working on a very exciting uh, model in, in rolling out our own products down the line and also going omni-channel, right? So we want to actually roll out um, offline and online store concepts. So please stay tuned. It's going to be an incredible ride for us. We're always looking for great talent. So whether you're an engineer or in business development, we'd love to hear from you. Um, hello at, at amama.ph is the best way to reach us. There you go. And watch out for the big announcement. And that's going to shatter all <laughs> records in the startup ecosystem. I'm not going to uh, talk about it. Just watch <laughs> out. But hopefully when this comes out, it's already out. Let's see. But just watch out. Again, Bella, thank you very much. Thanks, but before Ron. I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I think now by this time, we should have Facebook also. And again, if you did say some jargon, don't worry. It's going to be the show notes in hustleshare.com and lastly if you want to be part of the hustle share community it's going to be facebook at the hustle share community and again bella thank you very much thanks ron take care stay safe bye and i'll see you guys in the next episode peace